it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 69. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to take a few minutes. We're going to answer some listener questions. Uh, we got some great questions over the last couple of weeks, and we wanted to take a few moments to read through those and answer those on the air. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to my friend Andrew, and he's going to go ahead and start us off. Yep. Cool. So let's get going. I got an email. It says, Hi, Andrew and Dave. Thank you so much for your podcast, which is very helpful to me as a beginner. I also enjoyed Andrew's free ebook. I feel like both of you guys have a lot of useful insight for people trying to get into the market as beginners. My question is a bit specific and is about employee stock purchase plans, ESPP, particularly the one at my employer. I'm not going to say which employer he has, but... um, Let's see. He says, the cool thing about the ESPP is that in addition to being a no cost, except for on sales, which I wouldn't plan on doing regularly, drip plan, I get a 15% discount on the market price of the stock at the time of the buy for every buy. I also get the discount when shares are purchased with automatically reinvested dividends. Then when I sell, then when I sell the stock, I get the full market price at the time of the sell. For taxes, the capital gain would be the same would be the sale price plus the disc minus the discounted price not the market rate at the time of the buy basically i still get taxed on the bonus 15% and he says uh, while this obviously sounds like a great deal i have been hesitant to participate the main reason is simply that i am unsure as to whether the stock is a good investment so uh, and then he asks he he talks about the particular stock and some of the characteristics in there he also says um, the other obvious reason is that it will limit my ability to properly diversify since I have a pretty limited amount of extra cash for long-term investment. I do participate in my employer's 401k as well, which is also great. matches 50% up to 8%, though it doesn't offer much flexibility in terms of which funds to choose. I also have a small amount in other dividend stocks and ETFs. That's all meant for the long-term too. Uh, he talks about the stock, how he's kind of worried about the price crashing. Uh, oh, he says, no, I'm not worried about the stock price crashing. Uh, he's just wondering if there's better stocks out there, including the discount, wondering what my thoughts were on this. 
Should I start investing a small amount in the ESPP, see how it goes? Or do you think definitely stay away with the debt to equity so high? Thanks so much, Jay from Boston. So this is a really great question. And I know for two of the companies I've worked for, they offered ESPPs. Uh, it's going to be different depending on your company and the terms are going to be different. So obviously, it's very important to understand what those terms are first. For those of you who don't know what ESPP is, generally, from what I've heard and seen, and obviously in this question as well, is they'll give you as an employee, you will get an option to buy stock in the company. So what you tend to see, they will incentivize you to buy stock in the company by giving you some sort of discount on it. So I've heard of 15%. That's what I've seen. Jay talked about 15% here. So what that means is uh, they take your money out of your paycheck, just like a 401k, and then they will buy shares for you uh, at a certain purchase date. And then so let's say if the company that you're working at, their stock is trading at like $10, you would get 15% off of that. So essentially, I apologize because I'm not thinking of the math. So 15%, $1.50. So you'd be able to buy the stock at $8.50, even though the stock's trading at 10. So basically, the, the company you're working for is going to pay that extra $1.50 and you get that 15%, essentially free return. And there are some other... Like I, I had a company I was at where they would take the stock price and where it's been over the past two years or whatever the time period is, and they would let you buy in at the lowest price that the stock was in. So that's like really, really good. So they have like a certain time period. And if you're participating in the program, let's say they collect your ESPP deposits for a year, and then they will let you buy in at the best three-month period, the best price that it was at. So if the price now is at like 14, but it once was at 10, you'd be able to buy at the 10 plus you get the 15% discount and you'd be at like 850, like we said, and then you could sell it right away and and make all the gains that it, that it had made. So it can be very, very lucrative, lucrative, especially if you get a nice discount and especially if the price happens to go up. Now, Jay's obvious concern here is that, uh, he might see other stocks out there and so he feels his money might be better off in a different stock, right? He, he wonders about uh, not having great diversification because if you're taking a, a large chunk of your paycheck and putting it into ESPP, then essentially all your money's being tied up in this one stock. So what I'll say to that is the way I've always thought of it, the way I've heard recommended to me by other coworkers and peers and and what makes really the most sense if you think about it is they'll generally have like a minimum holding period for this ESPP or they'll have, I believe most of them have the option where you can just buy and sell like the same day. So let's say they're taking your money for ESPP for six months or a year and then they will buy in, you'll get the discount, you'll get whatever stock price cost is. And most programs are structured so you don't you won't lose money, right? If it has like that option where they put you in at the lowest cost, then there's no way to lose money there. The worst that you can do is you get that 15% return essentially that's free. So what I would do is, and what I've done is I tried to max out ESPP as much as I could. You want to do like, if you have a order of priority, you want to do 401k first if they're giving you a match because that's free money. If you're getting like 50% match or 100% match, you're getting a 50% return or 100% return on your money. You're not going to get that in the stock market (laughs) uh, without taking on risk or without having to wait, right? So that's, that's like no brainer, the best return you can get max it out as much as you can. Then you can look at the ESPP as like a 15% guaranteed return. And again, you uh, the average stock market returns 10% a year. So if you can get 15% a year uh, as a one-time return and, and it only had to wait like six months or even a year, that's still an excellent return and it's free. There's no risk on that. The employer is essentially giving you that as as a benefit for working for them. So you want to take that 
and you want to max that out as much as you can too. I think sometimes they'll let you maybe do 5% of your paycheck, maybe 10 or 15%. Uh, so I tried to max that out as best I could. And then whenever they let you sell it, you just sell it right away. And so you make that 15% return. You have basically an automated savings program for you because you, you tend to figure out how to live on your take home paycheck, no matter, no matter what happens. Right. And so you're not seeing this money. And so you almost get like a bonus at the end of every ESPP whenever they pay you out, whenever you sell it. And then you can take that money and just diversify it after the fact. So I kind of really like that idea. I think it's a, it's a great way to a get that free return. B you can diversify once you have that pile of cash and then C you can get into better stocks that you see once you have that pile of cash. And so, yeah, you might have to wait an extra year to get into that stock you really like, but you're still getting that 15% free return, which is really excellent. And it's nice if you think about, you know, the market risks with being in the market, trying to time the market, um, not being able to pick the best stock every single time. It's really nice to have these options where you can have basically free return, uh, free money from a company. And so I really like that idea. He says, uh, should you stay away because the, the debt equity is so high? I, I see where you're saying there, um, unless people are getting laid off. And, and even if they are, uh, with something like an ESPP, they're they're going to have to pay that out, right? I mean, I don't know how it would work if, if the company goes bankrupt, but as long as the ESPP programs, uh, like not locking up your money for five years, right? If it's only like six months, um, unless you see like the company teetering on bankruptcy and people are talking about layoffs and everything. Uh, and, and you probably have to read the fine print too, right? Like what, what would happen? What's the situation going to be if, if the stock is worthless after you buy it? Um, but in this example, he talked about the debt equity is 1.4, and that's that's perfectly fine. That's nowhere near bankruptcy risk. So I really highly recommend, in most cases, read the fine print. It's going to be different for everybody. The terms will be different. But if especially if you're going to get a discount on uh, the price you have to pay on the stock and the fact that it works as a savings program automated for you, I really like the idea of capitalizing on it trying to maximize it and doing what we talk about on the podcast with the money once it's in your hands after you've sold it. I think the risks that that you talk about, if the stock's not ideal, those really come into play if you're trying to hold it after whatever the time period is that they say, once you can, once they allow you to sell it, just sell it, take your free discount and run with that. I think there is risk and, and you really have to think about what are the characteristics of the stock if you're trying to hold it longer than what the automated kind of required holding period is? So keep all those things in mind. That's not an exact answer for everybody. It's going to depend on your situation, what are the terms of the ESPP and what are your other options as far as 401k match, how much extra take-home pay do you have, all those sorts of things. I think the last thing uh, to consider too is... is so yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts on the SPP. And like I said, it's going to depend on the person, but generally the terms are really beneficial. Next question. Hi, Andrew. I've started watching your podcast about a week ago and just got into your YouTube channel, which has been extremely helpful. Something that's been on my mind is what the average amount of time you hold a stock for that's not one of your dividend fortresses. In other words, how long does it usually take for an undervalued stock to become what it's worth or even overvalued? Or does it differ for each stock? And do you always sell when it becomes what it's worth or overvalued or do you keep holding? I guess a more general question that relates is when do you know to sell? Thanks so much to both you and Dave. I'm only 18 and I know I still have a lot to learn, but I also know that I have the time and passion to do it. And you guys have been such a great help. Before last week, I had no interest into investing until I stumbled across your podcast which I truly think will shape a huge part of my future. So I really can't thank you guys enough. Austin. Wow, super cool. Uh, glad to be able to help Austin. And it's exciting to hear how passionate you are getting into investing. Uh, I'm going to let Dave take this one. All I'll say is whether a stock... So a stock that's not one of my dividend fortresses, the amount of time is really going to vary and there's no hard or set rules that I make for how long I'm going to hold a stock. And I know Dave has some thoughts on 
just kind of that topic in general and how it relates to intrinsic value and value investing. Yeah, absolutely. So Austin as well, you know, thank you very much for listening and we're glad that we're able to give you some guidance and excited to hear about your passion. And yes, you are setting yourself up for life and this is awesome. So uh, to answer your question, you know, when you're looking at intrinsic value, really what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a discount to the fair value price of whatever that may be. So, you know, using easy numbers as I like to do. So let's say the stock is selling for a hundred dollars and you figure out that the intrinsic value is actually $150. Well, you can buy that at a discount now because it's actually less than what it's really worth. Remember Warren Buffett always says that value is uh, what you or I'm sorry. He always says that price is what you pay. Value is what you get. And so you're always looking for a discount. So the margin of safety, which is something Andrew and I are very big, passionate fans of, you know, because the reason why you're looking for that is you want to find a discount because if your calculations are off, if you've made an error in your judgment or your assessment, you're not going to get burned. Or if you are going to get burned, you're not going to get burned too badly. So that's really kind of where we look for that. So when you're looking for intrinsic value, you're looking for a discount to the price, you know, of what it's selling for right now or what you think it's worth. So do you hold it forever? Yeah. I mean, that's really kind of, you know, that's really kind of the goal is to find a company that you can hold on to forever. Now, are you going to always be able to hold on to every single company? No, you aren't. And that's unrealistic to think that you can buy a Coca-Cola of your generation at 18 years old and hold it for the next 50, 60 years. That'd be awesome. And I'm sure they're out there, but who that's going to be and when that's going to be, that's really hard to determine. So how long do you hold it for? Well, there is no set time and you hold it till it's overvalued. Well, I like to argue that you hold it for as long as you want to hold it, as long as you're comfortable with the risk of holding it. And that's really what it boils down to is how comfortable you are with the risk. And do you, I know some people advocate selling it as soon as it gets to the price that they think it's worth and then moving on and trying to find other investments. I guess I prefer to just keep riding that horse. If it's out of favor, I'll, I'll use a company, let's say Johnson & Johnson, for example, huge company, and it's probably a little bit overvalued at the moment, but let's say that there is a downturn in the market in the in the future, and you can buy this company, which is a great company, and it's been paying a dividend for a really long time. So it's a, you know, it definitely fall into the dividend aristocrat realm. And so that being said, let's say that the market has a downturn and you can all of a sudden buy this company at a discount to what you think it's worth. And then you can hold that for the next 30, 40, 50 years because it's that type of company that will continue to grow. You know, the, the some of the tech companies out there, they that can be more of a challenge because you never, you know, you never know how long that particular product or the service that they offer is going to be relevant. And that's one of the risks of getting involved with Facebook, for example. I'm not bashing Facebook by any means, but I am saying that, you know, 10 years ago, who would have heard of Facebook? You know, everybody was on MySpace. Now who even talks about MySpace? So I guess the whole point of this is that, you know, you, how do you know when to sell? That's a very hard question. And you always have to have a reason for buying the company. You also have to reason for selling the company. And Andrew has very specific reasons for why he sells a company. And I have them as well. And, you know, when there's a negative earnings for a year, when there's a downturn in the metrics of the company, you know, the CEO leaves and the person that comes in maybe is not the right direction for the company. I'm not saying these things are all immediate sells, but they're definitely things for you to keep an eye on and for to keep it, you know, uh, track of. Now, a downturn in earnings or a downturn in the you know, revenue of the company. Yeah, that could definitely be an alarm alarm bell for sure. But I think, you know, how long do you keep holding and how long do you sell? Those are really questions that you're going to have to learn as you go. But I think the general rule is I keep it until I feel like I don't want to own it anymore. Because remember, we're not buying a stock, we're buying a company. And that gives you a different perspective than when you're just thinking about a piece of paper or a ticker on the computer. When you're thinking about the business that you're actually buying, whether it's Starbucks or, you know, Ace Hardware or grocery store, whatever it may be, it gives you more of a tangible feeling that you're actually buying a business. And when you're buying a business, it 
tends to make you want to hold on to it. Just like when you buy your car, you don't want to give it up until it's dead. So I think that's kind of the way I think about it. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free, no insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think the focus is figuring out when you want to sell if a company is struggling rather than what's going on with the price. Yes. Yep, exactly. It's never about the price. It's about what's going on with the company. Yep. 100% agree. Uh, so next question. Hi, I've recently come across your podcast. And from that, I have learned from it along with discovering about Dividend Keens, which I've added to my portfolio. But my question, if you don't mind spending a few minutes answering, is what do you think about M1 Finance? They are a brokerage service and automatically invest funded or dividends back across your portfolio evenly. 
I'm sure you are familiar with them from what I've gathered, though you guys use TradeKeen, which I guess is Ally now. But I'm curious to know if you would consider M1 Finance legitimate for investing, even though you can't stop reinvestments going into the whole portfolio instead of dividends going back into that particular stock. Thanks, Daniel. So Dave, what do you like about Ally? And then maybe I'll talk about M1 Finance because I did a little bit of research on that brokerage. Maybe we can compare and come up with something. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Uh, what do I like about Ally? I like uh, the uh, several things that I like about Ally. First of all, uh, the price of the trades is uh, remarkably low and it stayed low for a very long time now. Uh, they have not adjusted their rates basically since I got involved investing with them, which was over four years ago. So I like the fact that they're not trying to gouge me and that they get what their clients are and what they're looking for. Uh, I also like their the ease of using their platform. Uh, I know that you know some people are concerned about how laborious it may be to actually buy a stock, and it takes a couple of minutes. You know, it it doesn't take long to actually purchase the stock. So you know, you you buy the ticker, you put the amount in, you know, how many shares you want to buy, and when you want to buy it, and you're done. So I mean, as far as that goes, it's it's very easy. Uh, I like their platform. It, you're able to do some research on their platform. Uh, their app is decent, so you can you know use that to check your portfolio to see where your balances are, dividends when they're being reinvested, what's being reinvested, you know all those kinds of things. So I mean, I'm a big fan of that, and I also like the fact that it's. Uh, with my bank now, uh, I bank with Ally Bank, and so the ease of me transferring money from my accounts to my finance accounts is super easy, and that is for me a nice advantage as well. So, uh, before when I was with uh, Wells Fargo, it would take a anywhere from two to three days for my money to transfer from Wells to Ally. And so when you're ready to buy a stock, sometimes it could be a little irritating that you have to wait a few days to get the money in your account before you can actually invest it. So uh, that's another advantage for me. Yeah, I remember because uh, I have Bank of America set up to go to Ally. I remember like maybe back when I was trading, it would take two to three days. And lately, when I've been putting money in, and sometimes it goes in the same day, sometimes within 24 hours. So I think they're getting even better in that aspect. Uh, I like the customer service from Ally because I remember calling them and I was on hold for maybe 10 seconds. That was really cool. And all you got to do is like give them a phone call, tell them you want drip on all your positions, and they will do that for you automatically for the rest of the life of your portfolio. So I think that's really cool too. Um, to talk about M1 Finance, did some research. They talk about some of the positives, which Dave, you kind of touched on. They say that they can structure your portfolio with with a click. So instead of Ally, where you have to make individual trades, M1 Finance will do it for you automatically. But like you said, Dave, I mean, that's such a short, easy, quick process anyways. Um, the other thing about M1 Finance is they talk about how they don't have transaction fees. There's no account fees. So Ally doesn't have any account fees. Um, Obviously, there's a 495 trade transaction fee for Ally. So M1 Finance doesn't have those, which is nice. Uh, however, they do have to make their money somewhere, right? So I wanted to investigate, like, how do they make their money? And uh, from what it sounds like, uh, they get paid for recommending particular funds. They also get, they, they ho- offer like debt products. So I'm assuming they're going to try to market you these these different loans once once you have an account with them. Um, they they make money on investors who are trying to invest with margin and with debt. You know, they're essentially being able to be a bank in that sense. So uh, some of the things I saw, and obviously a big drawback is not being able to drip in your individual positions. Uh, we love to, I love to talk about drip and how important that is for your investing, especially if you're doing small amounts, right? If, if they're just putting it back into your portfolio rather than putting it into an individual stock, if you're investing small amounts, that dividend isn't going to be able to buy a new position. So really the money is not compounding. It's, it's you're getting the dividend payments and it's just sitting in your account. Uh, you're not going to get the same compounding as you would with fractional shares through a drip. Also, it's not clear whether they have every stock available. I know uh, other than over-the-counter stocks, which 
you know, you'd have to do extensive research on anyways, like pretty much anything publicly traded on NYSE or NASDAQ, you're able to buy through Ally. It's not clear whether M1 Finance is able to do that for you. And uh, I just like the control of being able to structure my own portfolio the exact specific way I want to, rather than M1 Finance, which they're going to structure it for you, but you don't know how many shares you're going to get. You don't know how they're going to necessarily do the buys and sells. They could be, you know, that spread might be different. The way brokerages work is they, you give them an order and they try to fill it within a certain number of cents within where the buy or sell was. If we're starting to talk, talk about like old school brokerage and Wall Street and stuff, but that still happens even though it's online. And so we don't know if the M1 finance spreads a lot worse, right? If, if, if you're wanting to buy these stocks in at like 1050 and, and you're really buying them at like 1080 or, or $11, that might be costly over the long term. So lots of different pros and cons, I guess. Um, we just really like Ally because it's more options, right? More control. And, and I really like that aspect. And for 495 a trade, that's not terrible to be able to have all that control, all the additional things to really be buying stocks real way and the right way and managing stuff yourself rather than kind of pawning off to somebody else. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. All right. Hi, Andrew. I found your and Dave's podcast and I have binged all 66 episodes. That's amazing. Uh, I am a new subscriber as of last month and I was very excited to receive the August e-letter. I have a few questions and hoping you'll be able to shed some light for me. I am getting ready to start a new position with a new company. I'm going to roll over my 401k to my Roth IRA that I've started to use for the e-letter. I will have enough and then some to get caught up on all the positions in the real money portfolio. Should I do this all at once or, like you mentioned in the e-letter, split it over a period of time? Thanks for everything that you and Dave do. It has really made me more excited to learn more about the market. I now use finviz.com and I have opened, uh, I have created my own spreadsheet to track my investments. I am also going to start reading the books that you both have recommended. Thanks again and all the best, Constantine. All right, so I've done this rollover thing before. Rolled my 401k to Roth IRA when I had a new job. What I talk about in the e-letter, how I recommend is taking that lump sum and doing it. I divided it by 10 and I did it uh, one position every month for 10 months. And then I reached full diversification by 10 months. I know you can obviously have different ways to invest. I think the studies have shown that actually just investing it all at once tends to outperform uh, doing it the way I did it. Uh, it's a per- personal preference of risk. And I think the the outperformance they saw was like really, really small. So I, I like the idea of, of getting in at different, especially if it's a significant amount of money for you, getting in at different kind of time periods because the market can move within 10 months. So you can kind of be getting in some lower times of the market, some higher times, getting into different positions um, and, and understanding that uh, the stocks that are buys now might not be buys in five months. So I kind of like having that longer time period to, to kind of get myself into the best positions. So like for, for an example, if you were the lump sum everything right now, uh, depending on how many buy recommendations are in the e-leather, right? You might not be able to get into a fully diversified portfolio or you would have to overpay for it. So right now I have 20 positions in the e-leather. If you were to just split it up into all 20 with your lump sum, some of those are going to be really, really expensive because those were stocks I bought three, four years ago, and they've really gone up in price since then. So you, either you like wouldn't want to get into that one or, or put more in a different one. It can make for a lot of um, confusion, a lot of different decisions you have to make. Or you know, every time I'm buying a new stock, I, I'm doing a new buy recommendation, I always know the the price is exactly where I want it because I've been researching it and and done my analysis and that's when I know I want to buy. So if I have the patience to kind of spread it out over 10 months, I'll still hit that diversification. Sure, it might not happen month one, but I'll also be rolling into these new positions at great discounts to intrinsic value, at great margins of safety every single time. 
And so I really like that idea. I don't know if you've had to do a lump sum before or what your thoughts on lump sum would be. I have not had to do that yet. Okay. So that's what I did. I don't, I don't regret it at all. And, um, I don't know, like you, you can't really go wrong either way. It's really a small detail, but I understand how it can kind of trip somebody up. So that's the way I like to do it. If you want to do it a different way, that's completely fine. I think you might turn out fine. Okay. But that's what I do. And that's kind of why I'll go ahead and read the next question. First of all, Andrew, I want to thank you and Dave for producing the Investing for Beginners podcast. It's truly remarkable. I've been listening to all of the episodes and enjoyed the learning experience. It's helped me get through some tough days here in the Israeli military. Now, I think a drip is only a good thing if the price of a stock is still at a good price or at least fair value. But if the price of the stock has passed its intrinsic value by using the drip, you are overpaying for that stock. Since dividends are taxed as soon as they are distributed to the stockholder, so what are you doing is taking new money and pouring it into an overvalued business and thus losing your margin of safety. You're better off taking that money and just putting it into your next stop. Uh, so he has an example. So bottom line, he, he wants to drip um, into a new position instead of dripping into the position it already is. So A, I, I like the automation of being able to have a drip done for me without me needing to do anything, right? So I, my stance on drip is, is I like to drip no matter what, keep the drip in the same position regardless of how overvalued it gets. While it's true that particular dividend might be, you might be paying a little bit more for it. You have to understand the dividend payment is a fraction of the overall investment, right? So it's very, very important for that initial investment to, to be made with a margin of safety. But when you're talking about something that's like 3%, 5% of the original position, that little premium you're paying on, on the, the margin of safety isn't going to, it's not affecting your total return. It, it's, it's just like a small portion of it. And we're just collecting little portions of this reinvestment that's going to add up to a lot over time. So that's kind of how I look at it is I'm okay paying a much higher price on, on these reinvested dividends because not only is it like small in the grand scheme of things when you compare it to the entire investment, but it's also... If the stock price is generally going up, the business is probably also doing well. So you got in with the most most of your capital you got in at a great price. Now, if the price is going up, the business is doing well. I want to keep getting more shares of that, right? I don't want to maybe put a whole nother new huge investment in it where I'm paying a huge premium to the intrinsic value. But if I'm getting little portions of the business even if it's overvalued, those are basically coming to me for free because I put that money in anyways. And so I'm, I'm able to pick up more shares of a stock that's hot, a business that's hot, a business that I want to ride to the end if I can, and to just continue picking up the cash and, and letting it grow over time. Uh, so that's a big reason. The whole kind of thing we talked about with M1 Finance, and, and if you have a small amount of money you're investing that you're not going to be able to buy a new share with that dividend. That plays a factor. The idea that I don't have to, because these drips are coming in. Like I'm getting these emails. I'm getting three, four drips uh, every single month, right? And so I don't want to have to try to find a new stock three, three, four times <laughs> a month. That's that's now we're starting to talk about me picking up a second full time job. Investing is supposed to be something that happens naturally and passively. So a lot of different reasons why I prefer to keep the drip in a single stock. I hope that's helpful and it gives you some kind of insight. And really, I think that difference in the margin of safety intrinsic value uh, makes a huge impact on your initial investment. But on the little portions of businesses you're accumulating over time, I don't think that really, really, it, it's not worth my time to, to try to make an extra percent on something that's already only a percent of my original investment anyways. That's my thoughts on drip and why I prefer to keep it on an individual stock rather than putting it into a new stock. I would agree with you on all that. And I think to, to throw a, you know, a, my log on the fire with that so much of your overall wealth and you know growth in your investment portfolio is going to come from dividends continuing to grow and compound over time. 
and I know that's something Andrew has pounded on about, you know, many, many times is, you know, the great compounding that you can get from dividends and dividend stocks. And you can look at all kinds of research on the web about how much dividends has affected the overall return of the market over the last hundred plus years. You know, it's been, you know, a two or three percent portion of that. And, you know, when you look at that percentage over a long period of time or even a shorter period of time, it's it's just amazing. You know, the accumulation effect of compounding is just, you know, ridiculous and it needs to be taken advantage of. And by moving in and out of positions uh, like you're recommending, that could lead to an underperformance over the long period of time. Additionally, you're also talking about buying and selling a lot of stocks. And even at 495, a per, you know a trade that can add up pretty quick, and that would eat into your returns as well over a long period of time. So, one of the advantages to buying a company that does drip or that you can drip is that continual free money that Andrew was talking about. That is so impactful and such a huge portion of your returns. And you know, why would you give that up? I guess that's my thought. Yeah, thanks for adding that. And I think something about taxes too, right? He mentioned taxes. Uh, if you're in a Roth IRA, you're not paying any taxes on dividends. So that's a really nice feature. And if you aren't and you're paying taxes, I mean, you're going to pay that or whether you drip or whether you take that and put it into a new stock. So I don't think taxes come into this. Yep, I would agree. All right. I am going to take the next question. So Andrew, uh, first off, thank you for such a great podcast. And Dave, of course. Both of you do a wonderful job breaking things down so it's easily understood. I've only started diving into all of this three months ago, and I already feel pretty well-versed thanks to the both of you. I am a strength and conditioning coach, personal trainer, baseball coach, and hitting instructor by trades. I like him already. So I appreciate your guys' love for baseball. I like him even more. And the analogies to baseball and fitness you so commonly use. Uh, my question pertains to how to enter new positions and diversify for the beginning investor. After being financially ignorant for most of my life, I'm 36, and just now starting to climb out of financial hell, I find myself constantly battling to either enter new positions or adding to current positions I feel are still trading at discounts. I currently hold full, four primary never want to sell positions and three other minor positions and want to continue diversifying. I just can't overlook adding to current positions. Do I wait for each position to start edging towards fair value before starting new positions elsewhere? Or should I look into investing in new positions to diversify evenly? I have a very finite flex fund to invest. All right, Scott. So thank you. Thank you, Scott. All right. So here's my thoughts on that. So I guess where I would go with that is I would continue to try to add to those positions the 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 older positions until you feel like you have added enough you know when you're first starting out you know you want to build it to you know i guess let me let me back up so warren buffett always says that the best way to invest is thinking about having a punch card and you have let's say 20 punches on that card so you can only buy 20 stocks over the over your entire life if you think about that that certainly gives you more pause to think about what you're going to be investing in and you're going to be more careful about your choices and you're going to be more careful about where you allocate your money and how you make your decisions and do your research and all those great things so when i think about what am i going to buy you know i i think about you know what are my choices out there to invest in? So if it's something that you want to do on a monthly basis, like Andrew does with his e-letter, you have to do research to find companies to buy. And every month you have to look for a new company or you look to invest in a company that you currently have. So every month when you're doing your research to try to find a company, however that research process may be, whether you're using, using screeners, whether you're looking for highs or lows in the market for a particular company, or you just saw somebody driving down the road, or you saw a billboard or a, you know, a sign on a truck or something and sparked an interest, whatever that may be. When you start digging into those companies, you may find that you may not find anything that's investable at that particular time. So then you have a choice. Do I invest in a company that I already own 
or do I just sit on my money for another month, two weeks, whatever it may be before I invest again? And just because you have the money and you have to invest doesn't mean you have to pull the trigger right then and there. To use a baseball analogy, because I know you're a baseball coach, you do not have to swing at every single pitch you see. And there are no three strikes and you're out like in our favorite sport. So every time you have a choice to make an investment, you do not have to pull the trigger if it's not something that you're absolutely convinced is something that's either going to make you money over the long period of time, because that's really what we're looking for. So that being said, if you find something that you really like, go ahead and invest in it. And if you don't find anything you don't like, then don't invest in it. And if you want to continue to build the positions of, you know, the four companies that you are going to hold forever, your primary accounts that you were talking about, then if they're still at a good buy price, then pull the trigger on them. Keep adding to those positions because this is not a race. This is, you know, this is a marathon. You're looking at the long term of what you want to do. And so by taking it, slowly is again this is not a race you don't have to buy all 20 positions if that's what you want to get up to today you know Manish Parai who's one of my favorite investors you know the guy owns like five stocks so you know they talk a lot about trying to find great positions and really piling into them and if that's something you can do with your finances go for it if it's not then using more of a dollar cost averaging is a great great strategy to use for that but i guess my recommendation would be Every time that you're, you know, however your system works for you to buy something is think about those different philosophies and how you want to attack them. But I guess that would be kind of how I would go about it would be looking at continuing to add to those positions as long as you're still being able to get a good, good, you know, good value for what you're paying, paying for. And if you're not, then you can look for other options. And if those other options are not available, then it's okay to wait. You do not have to buy if you don't want to. So I guess that's kind of my thought. Yeah. Just to piggyback on that. I really like the idea that it's not a race. Um, at 36, you'd probably be, like I always say, you want to be investing for the rest of your life. So got plenty of time to build a fully diversified portfolio. Nobody's putting a gun to your head saying you need to be diversified by two months, three months, or even two years. Uh, it took me about two years to have a fully diversified portfolio. And uh, I love adding to current positions as well. And, and once you hit full diversification, you will have to add to current positions anyways, uh, most likely, uh, assuming the opportunity is still there. So yeah, I like that. Uh, I like the fact that there's no perfect answer for it. It's what you're comfortable with. I'm super comfortable with dollar cost averaging. I liked the idea of being diversified sooner, but I also didn't rush it, right? I didn't do it right away. It, I did it over a relatively longer period of time. And it's also going to depend, like, what's your conviction on these positions, right? Is is the opportunity just so amazing or is it just kind of like, yeah, it's decent, so I'm just going to do it just because I want to keep it in primary position. So that's all things to, to keep in mind. And I, I like the baseball metaphors. And if I were to add one, it would be the whole Ted Williams approach, right? He didn't focus on which pitches do I want to hit? He said, which ones do I not want to swing at? And I'm going to make sure I don't swing at those makes things a lot simpler. And so, uh, having a, a long-term, a patient approach, these are all good things to have. So last question for today. Hi, Andrew. I am a New Zealander in my mid fifties and I've been listening to your and Dave's podcast this year and have learned a great deal about investing in stocks. I think you guys give great independent and prudent advice to investors and I've learned a lot. Thank you very much. I just wish I had this information 30 years ago. I haven't purchased a VTI spreadsheet because I don't know if it can be used to evaluate stocks listed on the NZX and the ASX, which is what I am concentrating on at this moment because of the tax laws in NZ and because the online share trading account I've opened only deals with stocks listed on these stock exchanges. Uh, so I guess the question here is, is the spreadsheet any real use for stocks where data is only available for the last four or five years or is 10 years of data required? Kind regards, M. So for the VTI spreadsheet, I require five years. That's that's how much earnings data I want to look at. And so like that keeps me out of IPO stocks. That keeps me out of stocks that have only been public for two or three years. And, and I'm fine with that. Benjamin Graham actually in his book, The Intelligent Investor, 
when he met, he didn't talk about growth much. He really focused on the discount to intrinsic value, but he did also say that a business with stable earnings is important. Hopefully a business with uh, growing earnings is preferred. And he talked about looking at 10 years, right? He, he, lo- he talked about looking at what were the earnings today? What were they last year? What were they 10 years ago? And, and what's like the trend there? So it's something that's definitely something that's good to keep in mind, something to consider. I like to look at five years for just to, to fill out the VTI spreadsheet that keeps it simple, simple enough for me when I'm filling one out. And then when I start to think about like qualitative factors or I start to think more about which businesses do I prefer the growth in, then I start to look at 10 years of data and things of that nature. But when it comes to just the spreadsheet itself, I use five years. And I know <laughs> uh, while a lot of value investors might have similar metrics and, and calculations and valuation techniques when it comes to kind of the intrinsic value, uh, things can get really out of control when you start to talk about growth and, and there's so many different opinions. Um, but I would say, you know, the more data you have, the better Buffett likes to focus on growth, but he focuses on consistent growth. Uh, Coca-Cola, one of the big reasons why he bought Coca-Cola back in the heyday was they just had like a very predictable amount of slow, steady growth. I don't think no, maybe slow is not the right word, but it was definitely consistent and it wasn't like this crazy tech growth. It was just slow and steady, sufficient growth, and, and something that had a very long track record. So uh, more data can be better for you as long as it's not paralyzing. Uh, I like to use at least five years. And I know that's way more than most analysts use anyways. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our little question and answer session. I hope you guys enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun for us to talk about these different questions please keep them coming. You guys are asking great questions and this is awesome. And like Andrew likes to say, if one person is thinking it and and asking it, 10 more people are thinking it as well. So remember, we're here to help you guys learn as much as we can. And we want to help you grow as an investor and learn as much about this great uh, system that is out there. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. Go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you guys later. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.